Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live, ladies and gentlemen. It's a show about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Step into possibility with integrity and intention. It's time to make a difference and be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. This season features the Ruckus Makers Roundtables. Say that five times fast. Conversations about questions that matter with friends and fellow travelers from Forward Link, an alumni community from Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and Akimba Workshops. I'm your host, Scott Perry, Chief Difference Maker at Creative on Purpose and author of Endeavor. And I am an Alt-MBA 6 alum and on the head coach team for the Akimba Workshops. Learn more about me and my work at creativeonpurpose.com. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Lisa Lambert and Malone Hodges to explore the question, how do you choose courage over comfort? Lisa and Malone, before we dive into today's discussion, please introduce yourselves to our viewers. Who are you? Which program have you been a student in? What are you up to these days? And where can people go to learn more about who you are and what you're up to? Go ahead, Lisa. Okay. Um, I'm Lisa. I'm based in North Vancouver, Canada, and I was student at Alton BA7. Um, I've done freelancers workshop and marketing seminar, and I coach in the Akimbo workshops as well. You um, view those now. And my day to day, I help leaders and teams build trust so they can do work better and innovate a lot better and um, usually make work a lot more fun along the way as well. And you can learn more about that at rule number six.ca. And that's rule number six all spelled out. Very good. Go, Malone. Great. Uh, my name is Malone Hodges. I uh, was an Alt-MBA student and then taught alongside Lisa and had a fantastic time in Alt-MBA 11. Um, I am currently, a this is very exciting, a real estate agent in California. Uh, it just goes to show you can have an exciting and dynamic life and have a job description that to the outside world probably doesn't sound all that dynamic. Um, I have a bizarrely eclectic resume. That was the safest word I could come up with to describe my past. <laughs> uh, better than psychotic or something else. I have been a hotshot firefighter with the U.S. Forest Service, jumped out of helicopters, uh, was lived and worked in the Middle East, traveled the world, ran an ag biotech company, um, raising two great kids, have a wonderful wife who I met uh, sailing on a sailing ship into Puerto Rico that I had been on in Antarctica. And there was this attractive woman on the dock. And I said to my uh, fellow sailor, I elbowed him and I said, hey, who's the cute blonde? And I won't use his exact response, but it was, hey, blank, that's my sister. And <laughs> he was kind enough to introduce me and that was 30 years ago. So, um, so that's a little bit about me. I teach, uh, contracts. If you become a real estate agent in our part of California, you're forced to sit with me for eight hours. And uh, one of the things, funny enough, that I teach is the importance of trust in the transaction. That in any human-to-human -human interaction, the most important currency is trust of the other party. You don't always have to agree, but you have to trust that they're being honest with you. And a big part of successful negotiation is maintaining that trust in the transaction. Fantastic. Well done, folks. Well, now that the hard part's done, the rest should be really easy because now all we have to do is figure out how do you choose courage over comfort? Now, in full disclosure, this little crazy cockamamie project, the Records Makers Roundtables is something that I came up with and invited Lisa, I think you were the first person I invited in, and Lisa came up with about a dozen additional great questions. This is one of them. And so since this question is entirely Lisa's fault, we let Lisa <laughs> kick things off. I, I think I put this question for because I want other people's um, take on this one. Um, 
I think it's an interesting one, right? Of like pushing outside your comfort zone and, and growing. And um, I think maybe an aspect of it is maybe in the question of choosing uh, courage over comfort, it's a choice. And I think maybe it's that reminder sometimes that it's a choice to choose courage because I think in cases where we're trying to be courageous, fear is involved. And there's that edge that fear can be paralyzing. And I think just even reminding ourselves that we have agency in this and we can choose our path forward um, is a little bit liberating or a little bit, maybe makes it a little bit easier um, to not not just be frozen in the fear of the moment. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Lisa. I also think that sometimes people see courage over comfort and both C's are capitalized, right? Like I, I quit my job, took my family and traveled around the world for a year, went to 25 countries. It took a hell of a lot of courage. That's a big C, courage, right? But little C courage can be somebody who is really uncomfortable talking to other people, standing in line at Starbucks and turning to the person behind them and saying, excuse me, do you know what time it is? And that level of courage sometimes is more significant, I think, than the big C courage you read about on people's blog posts or stories people tell at bars. And so I'm constantly thinking about how do you take it back to just that little step off the path? And even if it's okay if you step back on that, that rut that you th feel you're in, if you just step off for five minutes in line at Starbucks or, or I don't know, the checkout at Safeway or take a different route to work, that those little move actions of courage will pull you in the right direction, even if you sort of snap back into comfort. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I would add to that. Yeah, I've, as, as we've been diving into the this new season and talking about these big questions, the thing that comes to that immediately becomes apparent to me is that we have to like be clear about what we're talking about. Like we say courage and comfort and we all know what courage and comfort means, but what does it really mean in this context? Cause I think we're talking about something very different than, uh, you know, comfort is more than just, you know, having a comfy pillow um, to put our heads on. And I, I, when you pose this question, Lisa, to me, comfort is uh, to me, a manifestation of the, the status quo. And because we are creatures that really are in love with the status quo, we we like the status quo, we want the status quo, because the status quo tells us what's expected and where we stand. And we, in general, most of us human beings like to know what's expected and where we stand. And actually the status quo right now is if you know by all measures is pretty good it's a lot better than it would have been if we were human beings 100 years ago 50 years ago um as human beings though we also have this thing where we like to if things can be made better we like to make them better and that means that we have to step beyond our comfort so it's this idea of i love what you said about agency and choice um Lisa and Malone, your point about the big C and little C uh, versions of these words really resonates with me because I think about that and some of the other things that, that I think about. And so as I'm thinking about this, it's the idea of acceptance and acknowledgement of what is and the way it is. And at the same time, having this almost contrary uh, impulse to change it and make it better. Yeah, and you know, this sounds strange, but I think there's joy in shared discomfort. 
So if you're doing something with somebody and well, like teaching in the Alt MBA is you're exhausted, right? And yet you're having this incredible impact on people and it's it takes a lot of courage because they're sharing stuff with you. Students will get on a Zoom class and share stuff with you about any, whether it's professional or personal, or I want to quit my job, or I'm thinking about getting divorced, or I want to do this. And, and your role is really just to listen and, and be there for them, show up. But it's still incredibly challenging. But that shared discomfort is actually all really joyful too. And it's if you're on a late night road trip with your three best friends driving across the country and you've been up for 14 hours and you pull into the 7-Eleven and you're like, somebody get some five hour energy. I'm going to go get us a couple hot dogs. That is not comfortable. You're miserable, but you're probably surrounded by joy. You're going to tell that story for years, right? So I do think there's some joy to be found. People get the fear plays a big role and they discount the joy that comes along with the courage and the discomfort. It's the kind of bit of being in it together in those spaces. And there's, I think there's an element of discovery that comes with it too. Cause I think for me, I find too, when being with other people in this, it's easier to be more curious than you are afraid in those situations as well. And you've got kind of an ally or a few allies to kind of go through this and kind of explore this curiosity and push into those, those frontiers um, together with it. And you've got the support that comes from those people as well. And to me, that makes it a lot less, a lot less scary. And it, it brings that lightness or that joy and that sense of adventure to it's like, well, you know what, we're here, we'll just figure it out and we can do this together and, um, and we'll make light of it and have some fun. Yeah. I love that. I think that's spot on, spot on. Well, I like that, that you brought up the word adventure because I think the way that we frame the, these things. So stepping out of our comfort zone or seeking the edges um, can be bring all the things we talk about in the in the Akimbo and Alt MBA programs: anxiety, resistance, imposter syndrome, all the things that we are constantly quote unquote doing battle with or or prefer, preferably dancing with. Um, and so I love what you were saying about. Um, fellow travelers and finding the others Malone, like that idea that if we can create some affiliation around what we're seeking to do, it makes things a little bit easier. But the, the point that you made about adventure, Lisa, really resonates with me because I find that when I'm doing something that might not work and pushing the edges and or seeking the edges and, and trying to make change happen, if I look at it, more as an adventure or enter it with a sense of play, yeah. then it becomes um, number one, less exhausting to Malone's point earlier. Um, and, and it actually will create a little bit more excitement. And you know we can almost trick ourselves out of the anxiety bubble because anxiety and excitement manifest in exactly the same ways within our body. So if we're approaching it with this playfulness and with a sense of adventure and this with people that, you know, we trust and care about, then it seems like it's a little bit easier to, to step out of that comfort zone. I think too, with that, it brings you back to the now, because if you're sitting there and you're having fun and it's an adventure, it's a sense of play, you're just enjoying the process. You're enjoying the journey. You're enjoying the adventure and the outcome or where you're going or, you know, whatever, it, it doesn't matter so much. 
um, because you're already, you're already winning. You're already getting value with where you are now and just going on that, on that journey together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's funny because I agree with you, Lisa. In fact, I was I took Colin who you know a lot about a couple of years ago, it, since it's closed and it's now reopening, but he was having some tough time in school. And I went to the point of this and we started going to a rock climbing gym and the anxiety of scampering up this wall hanging from a rope that his dad, who he trusts only, you know, so-so on the other end, belaying him, he really began to recognize that that anxiety and the churning of the stomach and, oh my God. And I was like, dude, how's that feel compared to getting ready for a physics exam? And he's like, holy cow, it's the same gut. Oh my God. I said, exactly. And yet at the rock climbing gym, it results in joy and happiness and fun and, you know, high fives. And if you go do well on your physics exam, that's what we're going to do too. And it's the same organic reaction and try and capture it like the rock climbing gym and not like the pre-physics butterflies. Um, And I'm a pilot and I get that all the time from flying. Like you're going out and you're trying to learn something and you have an instructor next to you so you're safe. And there, to your point, Scott, that where the edge is, getting better at flying requires you to keep bumping into the edge. When you first start to fly, it's straight and level and you're like, you go home and you have a beer and it's the best thing you've ever done in your life. And over time, you have to learn how to take off and land and then ultimately fly through clouds. And, and the way these instructors do it is they say, that was great. Now let's do it again, a little harder. And you're like, oh, please, can't we just stop now? Like, no, we have another 30 minutes, you know, and you go do it again and you fail. And they grab the, they say, my airplane. And like, okay, what went wrong? And you're like, well, Jesus, I don't know. I did this or that. And like, well, maybe, but not that. And then you do it again and you fail. And if you're not comfortable with that, you, you stop. And you have to get to where that, I feel like I'm going to throw up is like a precursor to success rather than a reason to not go forward. Hmm. I, so Lisa, you brought up this idea of presence, which I think is really important. And you just brought up, Malone, this idea of practice, which I also see as really important here. And the presence piece for me is, I'm going to use the word tied and then follow it with non-attachment. So that doesn't make any sense, but (laughs) is connected or uh, rhymes with this idea. So, you know, you have to be in the here and now and taking in the situation and uh, you know, framing your choices and, and, and making your decisions and you're choosing your next steps without being too rigorously attached to a preconceived specific outcome that you seek to make. And I see that in what you were saying about practice, Malone, like you're practicing, when you, you are practicing, you're obviously practicing for a reason. You have an end in mind. You have an aim that you're, you're moving towards, but you have to accept that the outcome is kind of beyond your immediate control. And that's the whole point of practice. It's this idea of testing where you have influence and where you might be able to make your best bets or best guesses. Um, and that process of failing and, and so forth will, uh, and learning from that will help you get better at coming closer to the thing that you Sorry, Scott, just to say, you don't even know what it feels like to have that success. You just know that, oh, I'm a, I'd like to be able to have a pilot's license, as an example. But you're like, ah, that means I can take off land and fly. 
but you're sitting in this little cockpit and you can't keep the wings level and you're stalling. You're like, I, I can't even fathom the steps to get from here to there. And a good instructor says, yeah, right. So level it out again and let's go this direction. In other words, it's not about, to your point, it's not, a, it, yeah, this goal is so ephemeral out there which is actually nice because then you're not tied up about it. You're tied up about what do I need to learn today for my lesson tomorrow? And, and then that's more satisfying too because you're actually accomplishing things as you go. So I agree with you. <laughs> you just reminded me of something Malone and Scott, I can't remember if I was talking to you about this or it was another um, Akimbo alum not that long ago was talking about the process in the Alt MBA and going through something like that and other things in life, at first it's, it's scary as you're going through it and you've got to muster up all your, your courage. And it's funny that the things one day that were really scary and took a lot of courage become the new comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're reminding me of Malone is kind of as you're testing and going and you're, you're recalibrating what that comfort zone is as you're pushing yourself further and further. Spot on, spot on. Like I now am an instrument rated pilot with several hundreds of hours. Like it's cloudy and rainy in Monterey. If you guys are in town, I would say, hey, let's go flying. And you'd be like, really? And I'd say, yeah. And we'd go up through the clouds. It'd be amazing. And then we'd pop up out of the clouds and you have to put your sunglasses on. And it's just a sea of puffy white clouds with the mountain sticking out. You know, it's like, it's like, what else? It's blue sky, like in meditation, the blue sky is out there in the clouds. It's that in real. But when I started out, if the wind was blowing, I was like, nah, tomorrow. Right. So I think you're spot on, Lisa. It's your you keep recalibrating. So it's comfort to courage, and then that becomes comfort, and then it's courage, and that becomes you know, and that's growth. I think I just want to tie that back to you because I think where you're getting into the small C courage acts. So doing those, because it's I kind of think of almost those big C courage acts, like when you went with your family and traveled the world for a year, that's more of an occasion. It's a special occasion is one way to think of it. But those small C acts, those are things we can be doing every day, as you're saying, Scott, to build that practice up. Um, so making kind of courage that habit and slowly kind of ratcheting up that, okay, courage, comfort, courage, comfort, courage, comfort. Um, so you can make that a legit practice in what you're doing. Um, and I think some of those things too, where you're courageous in one area, it translates over to something else. I think that's a great way to move into things that are a little bit more tactical and um, actionable in terms of, you know, what do you do to cultivate this habit of practicing small seed courage? And um, the other part, the, the thing that, the other thing that was coming to mind when you were talking about um, the courage to comfort thing is you're earning confidence and then, but there's another danger because confidence has, a, as human beings, a lot of us have this proclivity to go from confidence to, you know, overconfidence, AKA hubris really, really quickly. And then things get really messy because as soon as you expect that just because you show up and you're fantastic and that everything is going to go your way. So there's really two questions in there and we're going to unpack the, the second one first and then we're going to get into the, the first one. So the, the, the second one first is what do you do in this pursuit of earning confidence through courage, comfort, courage, comfort to try to not let that spill over into the more dangerous overconfidence? Yeah. 
not to bring up flying again, but the most dangerous pilots are ones that have a couple hundred hours because the new pilots are terrified and recognize what they don't know. And the old pilots are smart enough to remember that they may not know something or how to, and it's the hubris in the middle that gets people in trouble. Those are the people that run out of gas and fly into clouds when they shouldn't and, and all of that, Scott. So there is hard data that absolutely collaborate, co corroborates your statement across the board. Um, and I think you've hit upon actually a problem with our, like I'm near Silicon Valley and work with a lot of people from there. The hubris kicks in real early <laughs> and gets reinforced by the, the societal infrastructure around the tech industry. And, and it, I, it's, it's tough. You have to wake up every day with beginner's mind, I think. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to, I teach this class, I have 40 people in a class. And I say every beginning of every class, I said, I am hundred percent confident by the end of the eight hours that we're together, I will have learned something from, if not all of you, many of you. And that's how I'm approaching this class. And that's how you should approach the class. And we're going to do it together. And if you just even say that to yourself, I think it totally changes your frame of reference as opposed to, I got to teach a whole bunch of newbies again. Where's my coffee, you know? And then you come across as a, arrogant, detached teacher. So. I think that that humility bit comes in early on um, and bringing that as a practice with you just, you nailed it there. I think Malone with beginner's mind. I think there's another C that comes into this as well. And, and that's competence. And I think that goes with, with confidence goes back to, to practice as well as, but you're building up that confidence that goes with it, which, which is important. And I, um, I think there's sometimes too, where we've got to be careful of almost the inverse where we have the confidence, but we don't have the confidence. And that's where we're a little bit less courageous as well. So having that, that in check a little bit or that awareness. Um, and I think it all, again, comes back to beginner's mind too. And, um, having that, that deep insatiable thirst for learning that comes with it too. Cause there's always, there's always something to learn. Um, and, and Malone's an experienced pilot, but there's always something to learn with that and come at it. And um, I ride motorcycles and that's one where I come in that there's, there's always, yeah. there's always something to learn. I recently moved in my new neighborhoods, even more hilly and I'm still getting used to kind of the different grades of hills and getting a quick start on that one. So I'm looking around just kind of with an excitement of, okay, I get to learn and apply some new things. Um, in a different context than before. So always being seeking out those opportunities. And as you were saying, well, like, what can I learn in this context when you're teaching? I know I'm going to learn from each of you. I think that mindset really helps. But I think you just described the mindset that takes you to courage by default over comfort. In other words, your search for joy in the experience gets you to the little ease. And so rather than pushing, so be courageous, come on, go do that, go push, you know, we push them out into the world. It becomes, hey, I want to get better at writing on these hills, or I want to get better at public speaking. And the, the courage comes along because of the joy you get, you get excited about it. And, and it's really easy to say that because I've had that experience. And if you've never had the experience of the joy side, you're like, yeah, right, buddy. I'm terrified about public speaking, right? And then I, and I have some people that say that, then I'm like, go, public speaking is two people you don't know. So the line at Starbucks is a perfect place to practice public speaking. You don't have to be up on a stage. Turn to the couple behind you and say, so are you new to town? Would you like some restaurant recommendations? You just spoke in public. And I had somebody say, I never thought about it like that. I said, yeah, because you think public speaking is getting up on a stage. It's not. It's talking to people 
in public. You can go do it right now. Um, but finding that joy of moving into a new neighborhood with great new hills, you don't even have to think about being courageous. You want to go do that on Saturday because the hills are great, right? That's so cool when it gets to that stage in your in your being where you're searching out the joy. I like to think about this. So you you brought up this word at the very beginning, Lisa, curiosity. And to me, that's the that that's the antidote to the overconfidence. Um, you know, the, the overconfident people, at least in the music world, are the ones that think that they, that they they know more than everybody or that they know it all. And if you think you know it all in music, you are, are wrong. delusional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, you know, check with the doctor because maybe you fell and hit your head. So, um, but when you, and to Malone's point about beginner's mind, it's to me, I just think about trying to, maintain the sense of childlike wonder and awe mm-hmm. in every every day like holy cow i get to do this holy cow look would you look at that you know the plane took off again defying all odds. you know i mean yeah so it's that to me that's that's that that kind of beginner's mind sense of awe and wonder i mean that's how we first started to walk talk write read ride a bike all those things we did it badly until we did it well and we had no there, it wasn't a courage thing because we were fearless we didn't have any sense of oh i'm gonna look bad in front of my parents and my friends we just i want to ride a bike and so you ride a bike really badly until you ride that bike well and the joy comes through that the effort that you put through not from the success necessarily but through the the act of going from a person you know, from where you are to where you want to be and just taking joy in that journey. Well, it's time to, let's, let's move into some tactical things. So how, now that we are no longer full of this childlike wonder and awe, at least most of us, most of the time, um, how do we, how do we put ourselves in a position where we can cultivate a habit of taking brave steps into possibility every day, knowing that what we're doing might not work, knowing that there are challenges and misfortunes ahead and knowing that we may fail and that people may laugh at us. Go ahead, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) What are you scared, (laughs) Milan? So I think Milan's already touched on some of it with, you know, kind of those small acts that come into it. Um, I find sometimes I need a bit stronger reminders to um, to do things to kind of build those habits up. So I, I went through a period, um, there was just a lot going on. I was starting a new business and doing a number of things and, and I needed a reminder. So I just had a simple um, question that I'd ask myself in the morning and write it down. And one at nighttime in the morning was, what am I going to do today that's brave? And then at nighttime was, you know, what did I do today that was brave? And what did I learn? And that was, that was it. So it just, it got me into the habit of, I am a person who does brave things and building it up. And I had that own accountability to myself. And then I had that reflection back on it to realize like, what did I learn? Like maybe I learned it wasn't that scary. Or maybe I learned that um, coming out of like your comfort zone, your little cocoon, it feels really good to stretch your legs or little insights like this. So kind of more from a kind of accountability tactical thing. That's something that, that I've done. I found really helpful. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think what I, what I, the courage to step off the path, again, I'm, I keep coming, because I, I've done several big C things, I, it makes me 
reflect on the value of the small c. And, you know, stepping off the path doesn't mean you're not allowed to come back to it, right? Mm -hmm. I think people are terrified that, oh my God, if I take a left here, it's a fork, right? You, do, you can take a little courage steps and come back to, you don't have to quit your job, right? You can walk down the hall and talk to the manager you've never talked to because you're terrified of her and, but she's going to do your review in nine months. And so you walk by and say, Hey, I'm going to go get coffee. You want a latte or anything? That can be the most significant event of the week in your life. Right. Whereas other people are like, why would that be a big deal? So it's okay to take these little C steps and then, and then end up back on the path. And the secret, by the way, is that the path won't be the same when you get back on it and you don't even realize it. As Heraclitus is famous for saying, you never step in the same river twice, right? Because the life is flowing by you. So you think, oh, all I did was ask if she wanted coffee and I gave her coffee and now I can go back to my desk and everything will be, I'm okay now because I'm back on the safe zone. And you are, you're safe, but it's not the same path anymore mm -hmm. because you've done something that's gonna modify what you do and it's okay to be safe there for a few days and then go do something else. I, I'm sad sometimes when people say to me, oh my God, I can't believe you quit your job and traveled around the world and went to 22 countries and took your teenagers to, the, to Egypt and then spent a week in Soweto with them and I could never do that. And that's the sad part, right? And I say, well, maybe not, but could you go to New Mexico next week on a weekend camping trip? Well, yeah. Well, have you ever done that? Well, no. Well, then don't worry about going to Soweto, go to New Mexico, right? Because I think it's easy to avoid the little C's because you say to yourself, well, oh, I could never do the big C. Yeah. And I think that, sorry, I think no, it, um, it's these small experiments that you can, you can try. So, you know, what's something, I'm just going to give this a try. I'm just going to do a little small experiment and see how it goes. And I think to the point where you're talking about the, the past different, when you come back, um, you're, you've changed too, whether you realize it or not. And just from those tiny little experiments you're doing or those small C little actions, um, you're different and you keep doing those over and over again and you're becoming a different person through that. Mm. Yeah, you just you just finished the quote, the Heraclitus quote that Malone started. Uh, no man steps in the same river twice for it is not the same river and neither is he the same man. Exactly. So you, you're, you're, you, you've endeared yourself to me forever for citing my favorite philosopher Heraclitus. Malone, congratulations. <laughs> Um, as I'm thinking about this, you know, we're talking about small C. Mm -hmm. And so I think about small steps. And that's, and, and to Malone's point, so often we are hung up on the big, like the swinging for the fences moment, like the home run, like how do I change myself and change the world and, you know, change everything. But that almost never happens it's, it's, you know, it looks like it happens more than it does because we see the big change, but the big change is usually a manifestation of a thousand small steps that led up to that. And so what I like to do is have a, a vision of where I'm heading. I want to know where I'm moving towards or what I'm hoping to achieve. I also want to make sure that I accept that I'm probably not going to end up there, but I'll put it if I'm you know, stepping with intention and integrity, I'll still end up somewhere great. But the thing is, I got to take, I got to take a step and I got to take a step every single day. And the, I find, I have a couple of, of, of exercises that I, that I use, but one that I've kind of come upon recently is a lot of us, when we're thinking about even that small step, 
what happens is we go into what if mode, like, oh, well, what if, what if it's raining? What if, what if I stub my toe? What if, what if there's no lunch? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if? And we, we can talk ourselves out of even the smallest step really, really easily because we like to be comfortable. <laughs> but um, instead, when I hear the what ifs coming, I'll just say, well, why not? And then if I think about like, like really ultimately what's the worst that can happen if I take this, if I try this little thing, what's really the worst that's going to happen? Am I really going to end up divorced, homeless and living under a bridge in a box with a, a, a bottle of Bacardi? Probably not. Probably not. So why not? Why not just give it a try? And I like what we were talking about earlier too, just bringing in that sense of adventure and play. And, you know, to Malone's point, like you may not be able to take the big trip around the world adventure, but you could take your kids to, to the campground for a weekend. What, what would be so wrong with that? Yeah. What a great way to start. And maybe by the way, that's what you do that. And then two years from now, you send me a postcard from, you know, Laos saying, Oh, I went to Luang Prabang. Cause I remember you told me about it seven years ago and we started at a campground in New Mexico and now we're in the long Prabang. I mean, I did that at, what am I, 54. So we did that. I turned 50 on the trip, right? So some 30 year old saying to me, oh, I could never do that. I'm like, you're 30 for God's sake. Yeah, you can't do it in your 20s. Miss that one. But you could do it in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, right? It doesn't. So anyway, I think you're right. And I think those small steps. And I also think I had a trainer one time who said, okay, three days a week, five in the morning, da, 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 da. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do an hour of training. So oh, I'm not asking you to do it for an hour. Don't worry about it. I want you to commit to show up and meet me at the gym at five o'clock. If you want to turn around and go home and go back to bed, that's fine. But you're going to meet me there every morning at five o'clock. And of course you're there and you're like, well, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to go home and go back to bed. Right. <laughs> and you end up working out. And his point was, don't worry about anything other than getting yourself to the door of the gym at five o'clock. Mm -hmm. And I think that's to your point, Scott, is this, you know, why not? Why not show up at the gym at five o'clock? And I'll be darned, you'll end up working out as opposed to, oh my God, but if I go to the gym, then I'm there for, and I'll be there till 6.15 and then I'm going to be late to work because just be there at five o'clock. Yeah. I think with that too, kind of some of those stories that we tell ourselves that kind of get in the way. I think when showing up is, is more than half the battle on that side. And, um, but giving ourselves permission that doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be good. We're just going to give this a try. And I think that brings in that, that sense of adventure, that playfulness is that and you know, it might not work and that's cool. And just being okay with that going into it, I think resets your own expectations with yourself and can make you feel a little bit more daring in those, in those contexts, because it's not winning is just showing up, right. Or it's just giving it a go or something that way. And it's not a specific result that you probably can't necessarily determine anyway, as you head into it. Yeah, that's a, that, that brings to mind. So I want to shift to choices here in just a minute, but what you just said, Lisa, really, um, really hits. And Malone, what you said, so the one minute habit, like the hardest part about sitting down to write is sitting down. So promise to sit down. If you sit down and start typing for a minute, the likelihood that you type for additional minutes is very, very high. If you never sit down, the likelihood that you type anything is very, very low. So I'm, I'm big on, on that. And I love that, that idea that you added, but um, the other thing that what you just said, Lisa, just reminds me of like 
what's it for? And so when we just, right before the holidays, we had our holiday recital, my guitar students at, at the country store, which is a local venue. And I have a lot of new students and it's their first recital and they're freaking out because of course, their performance is a measure of who they are as a person. And the fate of Western civilization hangs in the balance on whether or not they can play Silent Night perfectly. And my, my little rant at them is, it's actually not about you. Serve the song, don't make the song serve you. The, ser the song is a vehicle for you to provide a gift to the audience. And, it, it, and so it's just a way of reminding that the effort is actually the reward. It's not how you look or how you do. It's the fact that you got up and you put forth your best effort in the service of others, that it was for somebody else. The whole idea that Seth has of here, I made this. Um, okay, choices. I'd love to wrap up with this because this is, I think, one of the harder parts because courage is tough, sure. Turning your back on comfort is tough, sure. But at some point you gotta make a choice and choices involve decisions and decisions are things that a lot of us have a really hard time with. So how about some pro tips on defining choices and, and then making them making a decision as to which one you're gonna act on and step into. So I worked with a very successful fellow who made a lot of money and he said, you gotta be careful with what I'm about to tell you because it can also screw you up. So don't overdo it. But a good philosophy when you're moving fast is ready, fire, aim. Mm -hmm. He said, don't take it to the extreme because you run out of bullets if you're going to keep, keep the analogy going. But never firing because you're never happy with your target means you're never going to hit the target by default. It's to your point, Scott, if you never sit down, you're never going to write. Yeah. So his was, you read, it's ready, fire, aim. And so I was uh, giving a presentation to a bunch of people that included some folks from Naval Postgraduate School, which is here. And I was talking to a Naval officer afterwards. And he said, you know, what's really funny. You have described the way the Naval, the ship, I can't remember the name of the piece of armament, but it's a ship defensive weapon for an incoming missile or an incoming airplane. The, the gun looks at this incoming missile coming at the ship and it shoots at it. Okay, does its best trajectory shot. And then it watches its shot and it maps its shot versus the target. And then it shoots and hits on the second shot. I mean, it is a literal application of ready, fire, aim, which I didn't know existed. And so even in the real world, people are doing that. And if you do that, and I think in a professional environment, if you become known as the person who's willing to take risks and admit failure, by definition, people will come to you and look to you for that value. They will come to you and say, Scott, listen, we're thinking about doing this, we're running this ad campaign, and you'll say, okay, budget's $2,000. What's the worst case scenario? You spend $2,000 and you get no calls. And they go, well, yeah. It's like, okay, well, we could spend $2,000 on something that we know does a so-so job, but let's go spend this $2,000 and maybe you get a grand slam. And if you don't, yeah, we'll spend it on next week on the thing we know does an okay job. And you'll become the person people will come to you, which will then reinforce your willingness to do that. And pretty soon that's who you are. And it's really cool. So I, every organization I've been in has had those people and they're not always 
hierarchical, right? But they're a person you walk down the hall and say, I got this idea. And they go, try it. And that's, I think, the kind of people that small C and decision making you need to find in your life to help you support those decisions. And it could be Lisa via Zoom. It could be you via your program. It could be me because you went through my contract class. It could be your second cousin. It doesn't matter. You need somebody that supports decisions because just that little bit of push will push you to make the decision. I think that try it piece, I think it, it kind of lines with what we were talking about, about, about showing up and um, I'm Canadian, so I love hockey. And there's the great Wayne Gretzky uh, quote, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And I think it goes back to that, that ready, fire, aim. But two is that there's a lot of us that we're, we're too scared to even choose or move forward and not choosing, not making a decision is a decision in that one. And I think to kind of get over our own fear of, okay, I might suck at this. I might fail. I might embarrass myself. I might not get accepted into the program or something else that holds us back from even choosing. The thing is when we're, we're making those choices, we're really choosing possibility. And we're creating new possibilities for ourselves. And we're, from what we're imagining as a new future, we're then, we're then realizing it and making it happen by, by making choices that come with it. So I think a big one in that one is choose, you know, pick yourself, choose, um, give it a try. It's, you know, it's, what's the worst that can happen. It's usually not that bad um, in that sense. And it's, I think it's usually ends up being a lot better than not choosing at all and having things kind of passively come to play. So take the shot, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. I love, um, I love the point that you just made about choosing yourself first. Like that's the first choice is that, and, and this actually circles back to one of your very earliest points, Lisa, about agency, you know, whether we want to accept it or not, we are in charge of only two things in our lives, how we choose to see things, meaning how we frame the possibilities in front of us and what we decide to do next, recognizing, as you said, that doing nothing is also a decision. Um, if you're going to give up all that agency and just let life happen to you, that is not, I, I know of no one that has chosen that path that wakes up every morning and says, I am the most happy, joyful, thriving, flourishing purpose person on the planet. So I, I, I love um, both of those ideas. And for me, it's again, circling back to, small, you know, like what's the small step? What's this, the small decision? But the other thing that was coming to mind as I heard you and Malone both is that often what gets in our, well, aside from ourselves being our own worst enemy much of the time, other than getting in our own way, one of the ways that we get in our own way is having the sense of overwhelm. Yeah. Like there's too many things, but the flip side of overwhelm to Lisa's point is possibility. So then it's just, now we're not, overwhelmed by all the choices, but now we have possibility in front of us. And then it's a matter of just choosing the best, um, or taking our best guess. The thing that helps me most continue to make decisions and step into possibility is reminding myself that as soon as I take the step, new situation, new circumstances. <laughs> now I get to make a new choice. Uh, you know, I, I get to make a new reframe, a new choice, a new decision. I get to step in and bingo. And so it's that iterative process. So the bias to action to me is the essential ingredient. Because if you're moving, 
then, uh, and I'm not saying move willy-nilly and thrashing and, and not having an end in mind, but if, if you're moving, you are making progress. And if you're sitting still, you know, it's the, 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 the Newton's law of physics, things in motion tend to stay in motion, things that are not in motion tend to stay inert. So let's wrap up with just a, a, a quick final thought here. We've managed to go 45 minutes with hardly taking a breath in between words here. So what's uh, any, any um, particular last words of advice or uh, takeaways that we talked about that you'd like to leave people with? Lisa? I think it's kind of comes back to um, what we talked about a little bit earlier, but the, the words that are in my head right now is it's choose your own adventure. You get to be the own engineer that the, you're your own rocket ship pilot. So choose your own adventure and have fun with it because it's, it's something we get to do. And that really is a gift that comes into it. So yeah, choose your own adventure and have a lot of fun and bring good snacks. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I would say that courage gives you the freedom to fail and there is freedom in failure. And so if you're courageous, back to my Starbucks, you turn to the two people behind you and you try and have a conversation with them and they don't want to talk to you. Okay, but now you've done it and you're free to talk to the other people. And that freedom that comes even with failure, people often discount. They think success is the only thing that gives you freedom. And I would argue that I know a lot of successful people who have a lot of money who are very miserable. <laughs> so that is a incorrect correlation, right? It's the, the, the taking just the little sea courages. I, I, I remember the first time I ever got on a horseback or the first time I ever asked somebody to go out on a date in high school, that even if they said no, the joy of the courage to ask, right? The joy from the courage to act is, is incredibly powerful and will just lead you to keep doing more of the same. Awesome. The only thing that comes to my mind is, is Seth Godin's advice of acting as if. You know, if you become the kind of person that you want to become by acting like the kind of person that you want to become. And if you can find friends and fellow travelers, mentors and teachers that you want to emulate all the better, it just makes it easier. And, uh, th and that's it. That's all I got. Act as if. Lisa Malone, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for Lisa for bringing this question and for both of you uh, for your contribution and participation today. But most of all, thank you both for the great work that you're doing out in the world and the difference that you're making. It makes a huge difference. And I deeply appreciate the time and all the wisdom that you um, provided with us uh, here today. Thanks so much. Thanks, thank God. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. It's such a treat to get to chat with you guys. Talk to you soon.